You're tuned into Two Shades of Blue, a Carolina Blitz podcast featuring Royal and Terrence, two brothers from another mother who rep rival teams eight miles down Tobacco Road. Each week, Royal and Terrence will give their real and unbiased take on all Carolina sports and entertainment. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to the Two Shades of Blue podcast. My name is Royal Howell. My co-host, Terrence Hatchett. And today, ladies and gentlemen, we are a part of the Carolina Blitz family, held by our senior chief, senior president, Bashite Hurt. Uh, we are half of Carolina Blitz, and we're going to jump right into it. Two Shades of Blue podcast. As you know, there's been a lot transpired in sports over the last several weeks, uh, you know, including the Olympics, uh, NBA playoffs. But last night, we want to jump right into it. We had Gervonta Tank Davis, who many, you know, considered a underdog, jumping up two weight classes, um, something that he hasn't did before to 140, which, you know, he's been on record many occasions saying that he felt fine fighting at that weight um, of 140, um, fighting um, the champ Barrios, um, who was the undefeated as well in that division. Um, you know, many said that, you know, Tank going up, fighting a fire that was five foot 11, who had at least five to six inches on him in height, but also his reach was about five to six long, five to six inches longer also going up to a division where a lot of times it's hard for you to carry that weight and still bring that power up to divisions. But if you know Tank Davis, Tank naturally walks around about 160 at times. So for him, you know, to have to lose weight between fights, you know, it could be a burden trying to carry that much weight and trying to lose that much weight to make the fight weight. Uh, but bringing that power and having that, having that same type of efficiency um, in a, bout, a championship bout at that, um, Javante Tank Davis did not disappoint last night at all, ladies and gentlemen. He finished um, Barrios off uh, with a body shot, ending the fight, had about three to four knockdowns, including two in the eighth round, which completely shifted the fight because at that point, a lot of scorecards had Javante down, um, you know, about four to five rounds. He came out kind of slow. A lot of times, you know, in fighting, you want to get a feel for the opponent, you know, just to see what he can give. And, you know, you take him, you know, you pretty much taking what you get at those early rounds. Um, sometimes that can be to a detriment of the fight. Uh, uh, you know, speaking Lomachenko and uh, Tiafimo Lopez, where, you know, Lomachenko came out slow and he came strong in the late rounds um, during that first bout. So, you know, you had Trevante finish Barrios off last night, still undefeated, got his belt, um, you know, three different belts, three different weight classes, still undefeated, um, with 24, 25 knockouts, um, still perfect record. What's next for Javante Davis? Give me your impressions on the fight last night, Terrence, um, just due to how impressive Javante looked late in the rounds. Um, you had, you know, Floyd, Weather, <laughs> Floyd Mayweather also coming ringside throughout the whole fight where, where a lot of people didn't like, but he was giving him advice throughout the fight, letting him know that, hey, you're down on the unofficial scorecards. You had a lot of media members saying that they didn't like having Floyd ringside, but let's just call it like it is. Floyd is Floyd. <laughs> That's his fighter. He's been doing this for the last several fights. If you watch any of Tank's last several fights, Floyd's been ringside giving Tank advice on what to do, where to go on the body, head movement, how to get a feel for the ring. He's been doing this for like the last several fights. So give me your opinion on the fight last night. What's next for Tank in your opinion? And how impressive did he look in your opinion, T? Um, well, like you said, anytime you move up two weight classes, the main question that you ask, especially for a power fighter, is his power going to translate to a higher class? We've seen it with Canelo. You know, Canelo's moved up in weight, and we've seen his power translate. Um, knocked out Kovalev, uh, went you know knocked out um, recently. Um, God, why am I blanking on his name? Billy Joe Saunders. Broke his eye socket. <laughs> um, you know, the fight went about how I thought it was going to go. I expected Barrios to come out early to try to establish a presence with his reach and his height advantage and to get up early on the cards and maybe apply some pressure to Tank. Um, like you said in the opening, a lot of times we see, you know, guys like Canelo and Terrence Bud Crawford and Javante Davis, is they kind of like feel their opponents out. So the first round or two, they might come out slow just to kind of fill them out and, and kind of get their bearings and their measurements for their punches, kind of see how they're going to connect with their punches. Um, Tank, 
turn it up in the eighth round with the knockdown. That was a turning point in the fight was the eighth round. Um, I told one of my boys, I thought Tank would have knocked him out in the ninth round, but he got him in the 11th round. But the eighth round was where the fight changed. Um, as far as people complain about Floyd being ringside, people don't like Floyd, period. They don't find anything to complain about Floyd Mayweather. I don't care that he's ringside. That's his fighter. Exactly. That's the guy he promotes. He trains him. So, I mean, what's the issue with him being ringside? I don't know. People just hate Floyd. That's just the bottom line. Um, what's next for Tank? I would like to see Tank fight either Loma or Teofimo Lopez. People keep throwing out Ryan Garcia. Let me tell you something. Tank Davis would beat the shit out of Ryan Garcia. That exactly. fight wouldn't go six rounds. Ryan Garcia ain't built for it, man. Yep. He's a good fighter, but Tank Davis is a different level of fighter, di different level of power. I just don't think Ryan Garcia can withstand the punishment that he would take. I mean, Barrios got knocked out with a body shot. <laughs> so imagine Ryan Garcia. <laughs> yep. And then Barrios ain't no chopped liver. Um, for people who don't know, Barrios was an undefeated fighter, a champion. He was prepared for the fight. He was tough, even in defeat. Um, he earned the respect of Tank and uh, Mayweather camp. Like Barrios is not chopped liver. So for Tank to knock him down in the eighth and eventually knock him out in the 11th round, it was impressive. Um, I'd like to see him possibly fight Loma. I know Loma probably is trying to get back into the championship ranks after losing to Teofimo Lopez back in October. Uh, Teofimo Lopez is another guy I think that could possibly fight Tank, um, depending on what happens with his situation with top rank. You know, um, his fight got delayed because of a positive COVID test. So instead of, it was supposed to be actually be last weekend, but now it's in August. So we'll see what happens to Teofimo after his fight in August with his situation with over there with ESPN, top rank and the promotion group over there. Teofimo's not happy with his situation. Um, I definitely like to see one of those two fights. And then I saw something, uh, another possible fight, Josh Taylor is a name that I saw mentioned out there. Which is interesting because Josh Taylor just came off a big victory back in May. I'm not sure what Josh Taylor's next fight's going to be. Um, I mean, it's a couple of different ways things could go in boxing. Um, I'm going to look forward to seeing, uh, you know, next month we got Wilder Fury Trilogy. And then we got the Errol Spence, Manny Pacquiao fight in August. Still a lot of big fights out there. And then after that, we'll see what happens. Um, I know Anthony Joshua said he wants to fight Fury sometime later this year. We know Canelo is going to fight probably Caleb Plant at some point this year. So still a lot of good fights out there. But um, let me ask you this. How do you feel next going forward? Because you said you had Teofimo father last night at the Lomachenko fight saying that he's ready for a rematch with uh, Teofimo and Lomachenko uh, potentially coming up um, before the end of the year. You knew the first battle was a very exciting fight uh, with Teofimo defeating Lomachenko, giving Lomachenko his second loss of his career. Um, Teofimo, who was still undefeated, um, you know, stated that he wouldn't, he'll be open for a rematch. Um, that's what seems to be the plans going forward for the end of this year. Um, you know, you've had Lomachenko in the past wanting to have his shot at Tank Davis, um, whether or not you can agree that Tank was ready for Lomachenko at that point in time, that can be debated. Um, you know, sort of like how Floyd did. Floyd chooses when a fighter is ready, even for his home. So, you know, Floyd pretty much chooses when he wants to fight. Um, if that fighter is ready for that type of fight, um, is his skill set up to par with that other fighter? Um, you know, you want to always be careful when you put a fighter in the ring with somebody of Lomachenko's stature. But what can't be debated is we knew what Tank was capable of even before the fight last night. And last night, just alluded to again, hey, he's going up two weight classes. He still has that same punching power going up to 140. Um, you know, the future at 140 right now is for Tank. You know, Tank is naturally been fighting at what, 130, 135. But we saw last night that if Tank continues to get more fights at that 140 division, man, it's going to be something to be said. He's going to be something to be reckoned with. And the more training, the more, um, you know, his skill set is continuing to develop. Um, he's 25 and those 24 knockouts. It speaks for itself. Uh, Floyd said a while ago that he saw the future in Tank. And it's inevitable, man. The guy is just a special talent. Would you be down for a rematch with Teofimo Lopez and Lomachenko potentially setting up, I'll say, Tank Davis possibly fighting the winner of that afterwards? You know that Tank and 
Tiafimo uh, were sparring partners um, on many occasions. Um, and Tank has, hasn't really publicly said in the past that he would be up for Lomachenko, as I recall. I'm not saying that he isn't ready for Lomachenko, because I think he is. Uh, Lomachenko is a different type of fighter, a uh, defensive fighter. Uh, Lomachenko actually, you know, in his fights, he usually comes around late in the rounds, as like Tank did last night, where he gets a feel for the fighter at first, and then he comes on. Um, if you watch that Teofimo Lomachenko fight the first time, that's what hurt Lomachenko so badly. He waited about six or seven rounds to actually start getting fighting. And by that time, you're already down five rounds, possibly. So he brought the power to um, Teofimo late in the fight, but by that time, it was already over with. Um, how you feel about a rematch, Teofimo Lomachenko potentially setting up a you know a all dual fight at 144, uh, Tank Davis fighting the winner? What's your thoughts? I'll be down for it, man. Um, I think Lomachenko wants Teofimo Lopez. He wants that rematch. Um, whether he'll beat Tiafimo, we can debate that and, um, you know, a whole nother time. But I think that would be good for the sport in that division to have a rematch between Tiafimo and Loma. It would have a lot of hype. It would have a lot of buildup. There's some bad blood between the two now with Tiafimo pulling off the upset. Um, and then the winner fighting Tank Davis because this is real. I watched Devin Haney's last fight and uh, I, I kind of wasn't impressed. I, don't, I think Devin Haney would get beat by Tiafimo, Loma, Tank. I, 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 Devin Haney's an interesting fighter, but at the same time, I just don't know if he's ready for those three. And that's no knock on Devin Haney. Let's, you know, people, they may hear that and say, oh, that's a knock on David Haney. That's no knock on Devin Haney. David Haney's still undefeated, but it's a top tier Tier one, tier two, tier three type of fighters. Tier one, you got Javante, Loma, uh, Tia Fimo, potentially. Um, tier two, that's when you go to like the Haney's and um, Garcia's. You know, tier three, Garcia. I mean, like, and that's no knock on Haney. Haney's an excellent fighter. A lot of these fighters, they want to imitate Floyd with it. You watch Haney, when you watch Haney fight, his whole stature, his whole defense is just like Floyd with the shoulder roll. One hand down, left hand, you know, your left hand down, blocking your right hand up on your jawbone. That's just, that's just fight. I just like how Floyd does. That's no knock on Haney. Let's just let that be known to people hearing that. There's just, it's a difference between fighting, you know, Garcia's and, you know, Garcia's of the world. And then you're going up and fighting tanks and Lomachenko's and Teofimo's of the world. Like, you yeah. know, big difference. Yep. And real quick, before we get into basketball, um, last week, I don't, you know, Charlo had a fight and I mean, he did what he's supposed to do. But for people saying that Charlo can beat Canelo, uh, I saw some things from Charlo that made me really question, can he really beat Canelo in his last fight? Um, he took some shots at the end of that fight. Uh, I mean, he clearly won the scorecard, but Charlo was taking some shots. And if you take those type of shots from Canelo, who's a, obviously a more skilled fighter than Montiel, um, I don't know. I would, I would like to see somebody really challenge Canelo. And people think a lot of people on Twitter believe that Charlo could be one of those fighters. And on YouTube, you know, you know they keep talking about Charlo. Charlo, but from what I saw, he he's going to have to turn it up a notch for me to believe that it's going to be a 50-50 fight. Because some people really think that Charlo and Canelo is a 50-50 fight. You know, I've, been, I've been seeing it on YouTube and on Twitter. I don't necessarily agree with it. I want to, I want Charlo to, you know, I want to see what people were talking about. And I mean, yeah, he dominated the scorecard, but I just kind of walked away from Charlo's fight last week, kind of just wanting a little bit more. Same thing with Devin Haynes last fight. I just kind of want just a little bit more from those guys, especially that, you know, when you got people on YouTube and the boxing community really pushing these guys and believing these guys, and then they kind of slightly underwhelm a little bit. I was just, I was just like, yeah, Canelo, I don't know yet, but you know, maybe if he gets that fight, We'll see something from Charlo, but you know we know Canelo is going to fight Caleb Plant first, and then Charlo is going to come up from 160 to 168 to fight Canelo. Canelo already said if Charlo he's going to fight Charlo, Charlo's going to come up and wait. We'll see how that translates. Whew. I mean, it's going to be a lot of interesting things in the boxing world uh, moving forward the rest of the summer and the fall and early next year. Um, Got a big fight in a few weeks with the Fury Water three. I hope that Water can get redemption. I really do. I'm I'm sick and tired of Tyson Fury, his trash talking, his antics, whatever. But as a fighter, I respect Fury. And Wilder is not a boxer. Wilder is a, a one-trick pony. I don't know who's 
been training Wilder lately. But I hope that Wilder's been working on his boxing these last several months, almost like really over a year. Wilder hasn't fought since the last Fury fight. He got his ass beat. So hopefully Wilder's been in the gym working and perfecting his craft and really learning how to box. Because being a one-trick pony can only take you so far. When you go up against a guy skilled as Fury or Anthony Joshua, you can't rely on knockout power. You got to be able to box. And Fury's a bigger dude than Wilder anyway. Tyson Fury is like 260, 270. Wilder's like, what, 230, 240? Yep. Like, it's very... It's very clear that Fury's the bigger fighter. So that power, you might even land that in one shot, but throughout the fight, that power is not going to translate to against a guy that's much bigger than you. You got to be able to box as well. Yep. And you see Fury came out and said that he's going to try to be 300 by fight by the fight night. Um, you know, he'll probably may, maybe weigh in maybe 280 at the weigh-in, but, you know, he'll gain those pounds right back overnight before the fight. Mm-hmm. He said he wants yeah, he's to gonna eat. He's going to eat. Because a lot of people don't realize that when we, these fighters – they just had to make weight for the weigh-in. But that last night between weigh-in and the actual fight, a lot of fighters will gain literally like 7, 10 pounds. They're going to eat and gain weight so they have that extra oomph in their punches, man. A lot of people don't realize that. You just got to make weight for the weigh-in. Once once you get past the weigh-in and everything's whatever, you can a lot of fighters gain weight overnight to try to get any advantage they can to knock some of these dudes out, man. Um, I hope Wilder gets redemption. It'd be a hell of a redemption story, but I just can't pick Wilder against Fury as of today because I just don't like – you said, Fury going to try to get to like 280, 300 pounds, and he's going to have a 50-pound weight advantage on Wilder. And unless Wilder can use his jab to really keep Fury away from him, we saw Fury really walk Wilder down the last fight and really just punished him. I mean, knocked his eardrum – Wilder's bleeding out of his eardrum, no equilibrium. So, I I want Wilder to win, but shit, I don't know, man. <laughs> I just don't know, man. You know, Let's I see what I happens. Agree with you, man. I want Wilder to win. I'm just not sure if, in you know, a less than a year span, if he's had enough to enough time to change his whole his whole fighting style, man. It's just like you know, Wilder's a brawler, Fury's a boxer. Um, yeah. And when you try to bring those type of street fight, um, you know, mentality into a, a, a boxing ring, man, people don't know boxing is totally different from just street fighting, man. And Deontay's got away with that for years until he came into a complete boxer, technical boxer who has defensive capabilities unlike any other, man. The way that he's able to move his body, move his feet, move his head at 280 is just remarkable, man. So it remains to be seen, um, like you said, I have to agree with you on choosing Wilder yet. I want Wilder to win. I'm just not sure if he's had enough time within, you know, a year to change everything. Um, so, you know, it remains to be seen, man. With that being said, we're going to go ahead and switch subjects right to the NBA playoffs, man. As you know, we had the Phoenix Suns of 3-1, who won a grueling match last night, 84-80, over the L.A. Clippers. Um, you had Chris Paul post game saying that um, DeAndre Ayton, is going to get that bag this summer. Um, you know, speaking of Aiden, man, Aiden went off last night, ladies and gentlemen, 18 points, seven assists. Um, no, I'm sorry. He had no, he had 19 points, 22 rebounds, uh, three assists, uh, four blocks. I mean, the kid was a complete monster last night. Um, Chris Paul didn't necessarily have the best shooting night. He was six for 22 from the field, 18 points. Booker had 25 points, but they still won. Um, They're all 3-1, 3-1 series lead. One win away from the NBA Finals. CP, who missed the first two games of the uh, series uh, due to COVID-19 protocol, um, you know, he's been looking like a straight first ballot Hall of Famer ran in these playoffs. Uh, The Clippers, you know, who are without Kawhi Leonard, who, in my opinion, I don't know why they want to go ahead and just say that he's out for the rest of the playoffs. It was rumored when he got hurt that he potentially tore his ACL, and they were saying that he was out indefinite. Let's just call it like it is, man. In my opinion, It'll be a miracle if he played this next game. He's um, not playing. Not um, playing. You don't play around with your knee with your future superstar who could potentially leave this off this offseason. You don't play with nothing like that at all, man. I'm gonna add, I didn't mean to cut you out. I was gonna ask something about Kawhi Leonard real quick. Um, one, they already said he's not even flying on the plane. Two, I heard this on radio and I can't really say it, but we might have another situation with Kawhi Leonard with the team doctors, like a situation he had in San Antonio. Remember. 
Kawhi Leonard got had a injury um, with the San Antonio Spurs, and him and his camp were getting into it with the uh, team doctors and the medical staff of the Spurs. I think he only played like nine games that season, and then he got out of there, got traded to Toronto. And I don't know how true this is, but I heard it on radio, so somebody must have had some type of source that it could possibly be a very similar situation with the team doctors um, with his knee injury. That's why they keep saying uh, he's out indefinitely. They're not really saying exactly what the injury is. Um, and Kawhi can opt out and be a free agent this year. So, you know, this is a situation with the Clippers that's very interesting because, you know, this is a very important year for the Clippers. Uh, Kawhi can opt out. They gave Paul George an extension. We saw a pandemic piece show up in game two. And then last night, you know, missing free throws down the stretch. Um, and then Kawhi, the situation with the team doctors and everything, uh, Kawhi's got a lot to uh, a decision to make um, this offseason. You know, I heard rumblings that he might be it's Miami Heat or possibility. Um, I don't know what other teams could really afford a Kawhi Leonard you know, with the cap situation, but this is a situation to monitor. This is something that I'm throwing out there. I heard it on the radio, but you know, Kawhi Leonard's had problems with team doctors before, and he eventually got traded from the Spurs to Toronto. So this is another situation to monitor um, with this knee injury. Um, as far as um, DeAndre Ayton, um, he's going to be one of the best big men in the NBA if he's already not, because you have to prove it in the postseason. And exactly since game one, DeAndre Ayton's really been Phoenix's best player. DeAndre Ayton and campaign yep. have really been the best players for the Suns. Devin Booker – let Pat Beverly get into his head in game two and game three. And obviously he, Devin Booker has the mask injury with the nose, a broken nose. Um, it takes a while to adjust to the mask. That's understandable, but he did have 25 points, but he very, really wasn't efficient last yeah, night. 22 shots. He was terrible in game three. Mm -hmm. And Chris Paul coming back, obviously rusty being out, you know, COVID health and safety protocols. DeAndre Ayton really been the most steady player for Phoenix and then campaign you've already been their second most steady player uh for the Suns um Clippers I, I knew the Clippers weren't gonna go out or a fight um they got a lot of guys who have postseason experience but at the end of the day when they really needed a basket just to take the lead they just couldn't get a basket um and get get a couple of stops down the stretch so this series is over man Phoenix is going to the NBA finals um Chris Paul being his first NBA finals um, it's going to be well-deserved, first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, who the Suns will play in the NBA Finals remains to be seen. I think it's going to be the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, but the Milwaukee Bucks, can you, I just don't really fully trust them. I mean, they should. there's no reason why they should have lost game one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Mike Budenholzer, when is, he going, when is Mike Budenholzer going to win? We talked about it. Our, the pick and roll. You mentioned, his, you mentioned his team two weeks ago, man. And I mean, you called it even during the Brooklyn that series, and they've been what for two injuries from James Harden and Kyrie Irving. We'll have a totally different conversation right now as far as potential matchup in the NBA Finals because Brooklyn would have probably swept them boys, in my opinion. But you know, injuries happen. That's the um, nature the of the game. Yeah. Um, you know, just the pick and roll with Brook Lopez dropping off. Um, as as you've seen in this series, as you've seen in Game One, where Ice Trey went off of forty eight points. The dude is a straight cold-blooded killer. Uh, he might not have had that type of 40-point performance in game two, um, but, you know, we have a big game tonight. This series is shifted to Atlanta. Um, Atlanta, um, by all means, have surprised a lot of folks, including myself, because um, I didn't see this type of um, grit and fight from this team. Um, but this team has, you know, performed under pressure. Um, they bring that type of uh, same energy home tonight. I think the key here is going to be can Milwaukee stay calm and poise on the road. Um, they showed a stat the other day where uh, the Greek freak, um, I think he had tied with Shaq with the most points in the playoff series um, in NBA history uh, with his points in the paint. It's like 100 and something points, 150 points, I believe. I mean, like, the kid is just a complete freak. He gets to the lane whenever he wants to. Um, the difference between him and Ben Simmons, who I'm going to let you talk and go off on in a few minutes, is he is not scared to shoot the basketball. Even when you have teams back off on them, um, we know the Bucks like to play Greek at the top of the key, and you have teams back off of them and force them to shoot. Uh, but when he gets in transition, he attacks the defender 
uh, causing him to either foul him or you're going to end up getting dunked on. It's just the nature of the situation. Um, he isn't scared to shoot the ball. He isn't scared to work on his craft. He isn't uh, scared to fail. You, you, you'll miss all the shots you don't take. You hear that, Ben mm-hmm. Simmons? You'll miss all the shots that you don't take. It's just inexcusable for, you know, I'm going to let you touch on that. I'm not even going to jump ahead of you on the Ben Simmons situation. But I think, like I said, the Bucks have to be calm and collective. We got to see more consistency from Chris Middleton. You can't have like another six for 19 shooting. You have to, you know, be productive 25 points. Um, you have to take shots 25 points, about eight rebounds, four assists. Um, you know, he's a lockdown defender, first team all defense defender, in my opinion. Um, then you got Drew Holiday, uh, you got Brooke Lopez. It's all about being calm and poised. Try to steal one game, you know, one, it's a one game series each game. That's how you have to look at it. You playing game three tonight in Atlanta, it's a one game series. All the Bucks got to do is just steal one, and you go back home, tie potentially two two. Um, but each game you take, you never look ahead in these type of matchups because Atlanta, that atmosphere in Atlanta is just unreal. Man, you know Ice Trey, um, he's gonna be ready to go off tonight. He had nine turnovers last game, which is like a career high for him um, as far as turnovers. So it's gonna be something to reckon with in Atlanta tonight, man. Eight thirty TNC, man. I can't look forward to it, man. T, give me your thoughts, bro. Uh, before I go off on Ben Simmons and Dot Rivers for the, being the frauds that they are, um, I think the key tonight, like you said, poise, and I think Giannis needs to be play at the five more. We need to see more Giannis at the five, P.J. Tucker at the four, or Bob, a mix of P.J. Tucker and Bobby Portis. Um, like you said, Chris Middleton can't have another game where he goes six for 20 or six for 23. Um, you need more consistency from Middleton. The Bucks should win this game and win this series. But as we've seen at times from them, they aren't poised. They aren't well coached. There's no reason why Giannis should be at the top of the key all the time. When the Bucks are at their best, Giannis is on the block. Or you're setting screens for Giannis so you can have him on the move. When Giannis is at the top of the key, teams are just going to form a wall and they're going to back off and make him shoot. Every now and then Giannis will hit, but he's still not a great shooter yet. Or you can, you can say he's not even a good shooter yet. Still a lot of room to improve. But, hell, like you said, at least Giannis will shoot the ball. At least Giannis will go to the foul line. Game seven, you know, a lot of people were talking about Kevin Durant's performance, and as they should. And, you know, we'll get we'll get to Scottie Pippen in a second as well. But Giannis had 40 points and, like, 13 rebounds in game seven. And nobody seems to talk about his performance. And Giannis made his free throws in the second half of that game as well. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know why his Giannis's game seven performance isn't talked about as much. I don't know if people just don't like Giannis because they say that Giannis doesn't have a skill set or a bag, as some people have said. But hell, Giannis with no bag still dropped 40 in a game seven. So yep. I, I just don't know why, you know, the NBA media, we know ESPN and all of them have agendas and narratives they want to push. But Giannis this game seven just isn't getting enough respect for me. Um I think the Bucs will handle business tonight. Um, I could see them losing a game four, and but I think the Bucks will win this series in six, um, as well. But since you brought it up, oh, whew, <laughs> go ahead, yeah. take a breather first before you go off on Ben Simmons, man. Let me say this, man, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit here. I don't do this often, but I'm gonna do this right now. Ben Simmons is a fucking disgrace to the game of basketball. And here's why. Like you said, Giannis might not be the best free throw shooter. He might not be the best three-point shooter. Hell, Giannis will airball free throw or a three-pointer, but guess what? If it, When it comes time to take another one, at least he'll take it. Ben Simmons won't even take the shot. You are the reason why the Sixers lost. You and Dot Rivers. And speaking of, and Dot Rivers, real quick, before I continue my rant, Ben Simmons, when are we going to stop giving Doc Rivers so much credit for that one NBA title he won with that Celtics team with Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, Rondo, Perkins, James Posey? I mean, seriously, I'm getting tired of the 08 Celtics. You know, they were talking trash when Kyrie got hurt, which is disgraceful and distasteful. Big Baby Davis is a cornball for talking about Kyrie Irving when he got injured. And then, you know, Paul Pierce has had his moments, and then KG's had some moments where he's been petty. I'm just I'm just tired of the 08 Celtics period, but Doc Rivers is a fraud, man. I'm tired. Like, Doc Rivers has blown more 3-1 leads than any coach in history. He's blown 
a 26-point lead in game five with a 16-point lead in game four against the Hawks. Like, Doc Rivers, Sixers fans already want Doc Rivers fired, and they want Ben Simmons' head on a silver platter, as they should be. Ben Simmons, you were the number one pick in the 2016 draft. You were part of the process, and you are the reason why the process is failing. If I was Joel Embiid, I averaged 31 points and 13 rebounds and a torn meniscus. Yep. I would, beat, I would beat the shit out of Ben Simmons. Yep. I agree with Shaq. I would have beat Ben Simmons' ass because I'm out here on one leg dropping 30 and 13, giving it my all. And, yeah, there were times in the series where Embiid was ineffective, and, you know, he had a big turnover in game seven as well, and he missed some free throws late in game five. But the point of the matter is he's out there on one leg giving his all. Embiid pushing the work. He's gotten better every year. And B can step out, hit the three. He has a fadeaway, footwork, whatever. What, what has Ben Simmons actually worked on and improved in since he's been in the NBA besides defense? We know you're a great defender. You're 6'10". You, have, you're, you are naturally gifted. You have so much God-given talent, and you blow it. And that pisses me off. I hate seeing people who have so much natural ability, natural athleticism, height, whatever you want to call it, gifted, just natural gifts, and blow it. And then there's reports coming out um, – some executives, I don't know if it was leaked from the Sixers camp saying that Ben Simmons doesn't work on his game. People have told him what he needs to do. You know, multiple coaches told him. Brett Brown has told him. You know, you got Jimmy Butler there. And I heard there was a rip between Jimmy Butler and Ben Simmons, and I can I completely understand why. And Jimmy Butler probably can't stand Ben Simmons. Um, I don't think Joel Embiid really likes Ben Simmons. I think Joel Embiid was the Jimmy Butler guy. I think him and Jimmy Butler are tight. They're, you know, they're still tight on social media. I think Embiid low-key's pissed that um, what's transpired with Ben Simmons lately. And how the hell do you not pull the uh, James Harden trade? There was a trade on the table. Even yes. Ben Simmons thought that he – even Ben Simmons thought he was gone. And this is why I blame Doc Rivers. You had a chance to get James Harden, who would have been a perfect complement with Joel Embiid. Imagine a, a James Harden, Joel Embiid pick and roll. They would still be playing right now. Easy. They'd, in my opinion, they'd be the favorites Yep. to come out of the East. I would have picked I would picked uh, Philadelphia. If you put James Harden with Joel Embiid, I would pick them over Milwaukee because Joel Embiid is more skilled than Giannis, and James Harden's better than Middleton, and um, – Tobias Harris was steady, and, and Seth Curry stepped up, you know, postseason as well. Um, Seth Curry was actually at times their second best player in the playoffs. I mean, game five, how the hell does this happen? The only two people that made a basket in the second half of game five was Joel Embiid and Seth Curry. Like, that's inexcusable. Ben Simmons, you are making a hundred – you still have four years of $147 million left in your contract. You are scamming the city of Philadelphia. You are scamming your teammates. You're scamming the NBA. Like – how many shots did he take in the fourth quarter between game four and game seven? I think a total of what three? Ridiculous. How three much money shots. is he owed? How much money is he owed? He still has four years and $147 million up in his contract. Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris are, are making more money per, per year than Joel Embiid. That doesn't make any sense, number one. Two, Philadelphia needs to come up with a plan and have a sense of urgency. Ben Simmons either needs to go you, – you either got to really follow Ben Simmons around, make sure he's working on his game, or you got to trade him. But, I mean, what team wants Ben Simmons right now? <laughs> Seriously, yes. who, wants, who wants Ben Simmons right now? I mean, the only team that really I can see wanting him is the Golden State Warriors just for his defense because you have a Steph Curry and a Clay Thompson, and Ben Simmons could be that Draymond Green type of player. But I don't know what the hell Philadelphia will want back from the Warriors. I saw a trade possibly on Bleacher Report, like Buddy Hill, Marvin Bagley, and a pick for Ben Simmons. I don't know why the hell Sacramento would do that, but Buddy Hill isn't happy in Sacramento, so maybe that could work. You know, I've heard CJ McCollum. Um, I just don't know what Philadelphia is kind of stuck. You know, the process is stuck. Yeah, but that ben contract Simmons, is just who wants, like you said, who wants that contract? That contract is going to make him almost untradeable. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say it's not possible, but literally. His contract situation is crazy, man. And the fact that you just mentioned a second ago, T, that you have to literally follow him around. There were reports from Stephen A. Smith, ESPN um, insider, who said this past week that there are play there are people in the organization that think that Ben Simmons is too baby, which means he keeps his family. I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with keeping your family around around you, but in this type of 
investment where an organization is putting this much money, you know, putting this much money into a player for you to be the future of the organization. You're getting paid a hundred something million dollars and you can't even shoot a damn jump shot. It's just mind boggling. You won't even attempt a jump shot. Let's just think about this conversation for a second. You won't even attempt a jump shot specifically in the fourth quarter. That game seven, when you were wide open in the paint and didn't duck the basketball, you passed it back out. You had been, you had Joel and B after game said he thought that he was going to dunk the basketball. That was a game changer. Like, how do you not shoot the basketball? That it's was just a game. It, that was that was a game. That was a series. Mm-hmm. Like you getting paid a hundred something million dollars and you won't even shoot the basketball, bro. You get paid to do this. You can be an ain't on rookie of the year, three time All Star, two thousand twenty steal leader, two time All Defensive first team. But who gives a rat's ass and you can't even shoot a damn jump shot? You can't shoot a damn jump shot. Imagine you getting paid more money than they on Reggie Jackson for the on Clippers. Like, let, let's just call it like it is. At least he's shooting basketball. He comes off the bench doing this stuff, man. Terrence, man, I can name, Luke, I, I can name a, a bunch of other on rookies and second-year players that are shooting the basketball at a higher percentage and getting paid dramatically a lot less than what you're making right now. Mm-hmm. The fact that you have to teach another grown man to take care of responsibilities for an organization that's investing all this money in you and you won't even attempt to work on your craft you get paid to do this type of stuff. You never take this stuff for granted because it can all be taken away at one glimpse. It's the fact that we have this conversation right now is just crazy. Like you're it's an NBA star. It's, it is, it's a disgrace. Like you said, it's a disgrace to basketball. You get paid all this money. You're holding the organization King Ransom. That's what it is right now because you can pay all this money, but you don't have the dedication and the craft to want to perfect it. Like it's just, it's, it's sad. You see the Greek freak who doesn't mind being humiliated, doesn't mind being mocked at the free throw line when you have the opposing crowds doing a countdown because he knows that he's not afraid to fail. This is what he signed up for. This is what he wants to do. You can never be afraid to fail. Like Kobe said plenty of times, you'll miss all the shots you don't take, man. Like, take the shot. You get paid to do this, man. You get paid for a living. You get paid a nice penny to do this for a living, and you won't even take the necessary steps to perfect your craft. It's mind-boggling, man. Yeah. It's just, it's quite embarrassing, in my opinion. It's it's so bad that, literally, he's scared to go to the foul. You got fans trying to teach him how to shoot with good form in the stands. Um, Atlanta did hack a Simmons, and then, like you said, he was, he didn't want to duck the basketball. When you got a five foot ten, I don't care how tall they say Trey Young. Trey Young is five foot ten, man. You are 6'10". You are a whole foot taller than Trey Young. You probably got Trey Young in the weight department at least 40, 50 pounds. Put his ass into the ground and dunk on him. Seriously. Exactly. You are six ten, like two forty, two fifty. Trey Young might be a buck seventy, maybe at five ten, and you had a wide open dunk, and Trey Young was right there. You put him into the ground, and then you step over him and tell him that I'm that guy. But yeah. no, you are mentally weak. You are soft as hell. You are weak. You don't perfect your craft. You don't work on your game. You're sitting there robbing the city of Philadelphia. You're getting booed off the court. You got people putting out signs saying "Wanted Ben Simmons." Like in Philadelphia, it's a disgrace. And in Philadelphia, they are stuck because guess what? Joel Embiid is a free agent, I think, after two years. And if they don't do something or get rid of Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid's going to say, fuck Philly and get the hell up out of there because Embiid being injury prone, you know, we don't know how long his prime years are going to be just because of yeah. his injury history. Embiid needs to win now. Yep. And this is a prime opportunity with everything going on in the league for the Sixers to actually get to an NBA Finals this year. But I think they possibly could have beat the Bucks. I mean, I don't know. I think it would have been a good six or seven game series, but they came and get to a conference finals in a year where Brooklyn had James Harden and Kyrie Irving injured, yep. injured, uh, Boston in turmoil. And then um, they couldn't even get to the conference finals, beat the Hawks and much, you know, respect to Nate McMillan, but come on now, like yeah, Raleigh native. inexcusable. And then Doc Rivers, had double digit leads and keeps blowing him. Like Phil Jackson said in that video, uh, I, I retweeted <laughs> yeah, a Doc Rivers team will always find a way to lose. And yep. it's so true. Yep. Doc Rivers should have yanked Ben Simmons out of those games. As soon as they started hacking Simmons, get him out of there. I don't care if it was Shake Milton, Tyrese Maxey. At least those guys aren't afraid to shoot. <laughs> Hell, yeah. Tyrese Maxey was the reason they won game six. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just, it's just, I have a hard time trying to fathom the fact that this player of his type of caliber refuses to get better. It's almost like he's just fine with being stagnant and just being complacent. Like, dude, you're in an organization where these young players, it's like the torches are being passed night in, night out. 
And it's just like you're just letting this opportunity just pass you by because you refuse to better your jump shot. The fact that you have reports from the organization that you refuse to even want to work, you want to put in the work. Like, how do you not want to put in the work being an NBA player? It's like, it's just, I have a hard time trying to come to the realization that Ben Simmons refuses. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say I don't want to believe the reports, but this stuff is coming out for a reason. And the fact that it came from neutral sources makes me believe the fact that he doesn't want a better jump shot where he just thinks that, hey, he can get away with having Steph Curry on the wing and having him beat in the post. And he's just a facilitator and plays defense. And, you know, he can get away with it. Like, you see they're home right now. I mean, with that same type of mentality, they're home right now. Um, if I'm Embiid, if Ben Simmons doesn't improve his jump shot this season, these are two options. Force a trade. I'll force a trade mid-season. I wouldn't even wait to the end of the season because, like you said, with Embiid's durability, we know his knees. He had, he's had knees issues since Kansas, um, including having, having back issues also. Um, you don't know how many prime years he has left in his career. Um, I still think he has a nice career ahead of him, but my main concern has been his, his just durability, durability issues. Yeah. But like I said before, if I'm Embiid right now and you don't see any type of improvement from Ben Simmons going into the season um, next year, especially with his jump shot, I'm going behind the scenes to organization. And, you know, and maybe I wouldn't even go behind the scenes because it's not like Ben Simmons going to beat Embiid's ass or anything. Like, no. put, put, put it on record, hey, get his ass out of Philly. Send him that they going to Siberia or they going to Shanghai night. Because this is some fucking bullshit. Excuse my language. But, like, you're getting paid $147 fucking million, dude. Like, what the hell are you doing? Like, what are you doing? You're getting paid $100 million. You refuse to work on your jump shot. You think about Kylie Jenner and uh, whoever else. Like, dude, what the hell are you doing with your dang on life, man? This is just, it's crazy. You have all the necessary resources in the NBA to better your career. You got some of the best shooting coaches in the world. You don't have to necessarily use the dang on Philadelphia Sixers shooting staff. You got all the resources, limited resources, unlimited resources, shooting coaches, drill coaches. Um, you have your peers. I mean, you can go to any, you're in the NBA for God's sake. You can use any of these resources to better your shot. The fact that this has been going on since high school, you have his high school coach saying that he could do this and do that. Dude, that's bull. I don't want to hear that baloney. Yeah. You're a high school coach. No, 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 no. You're like, no disrespect at all. No disrespect. We all started from somewhere. But you're saying all this nonsense because you coached him in high school. Dude, this is a totally different ballpark. You're, you're a high school coach for a reason, and they're in the NBA. It's a totally different ballgame. If you felt the need that he needed to correct all this stuff in high school, you should have fixed it for him or at least reached out to him going now because he's in the NBA. He has to develop that jump shot. You just have to or you're not going to be doing anything at all. You see, Draymond Green's able to get away with it because he's playing with the best backcourt in NBA history, the best shooting backcourt in NBA history, the best three-point shooters in all of NBA history. You got Klay Thompson and Steph Curry. That's why Draymond Green's been able to get away with it. You put him on damn Hornets or some crap, like, we'll see. I mean, like, dude, I can go so many ways with this. It's just I find it very embarrassing that he hasn't developed a jump shot. He's been in the league for several years now. Like, it's inexcusable, man. It's, it's very inexcusable, man. And honestly, if Ben Simmons' stock is falling off, I don't want him. I wouldn't. I don't even want him near. I would not even want him near Charlotte. That's how no. bad Ben Simmons is falling off. A couple of years ago, I'd be all for it, you know, just off his talent. But now, after seeing what happened this postseason and seeing how mentally soft he is and his inability to perfect his craft, I don't. I wouldn't even want him nowhere near the Queen City, man. Keep him the hell away from here until he can actually whatever. But his trade value has been diminished a lot. Yeah. It has, man. Um, we're going to switch subjects, man. I know we both got very heated because it just – we want y'all to – like, we want you to know this, ladies and gentlemen. We're upset. It's not that we're just upset with just Ben Simmons. We're upset because his work ethic. We know everything's rumored, but when you're actually seeing the type of results on the court, he's being blessed in a situation where he's able to play a game that he loves and be paid a – astronomical amount of money to do what he does and he refuses to work on his craft that's why we're upset so when you hear us use certain words or show our emotions it's the fact that he's being put in a situation where me and you are not in that same situation where we probably could, me and t probably could shoot better than ben simmons I know yeah, yeah, we can shoot better than ben simmons and the I fact mean, that he's, look, he's you can, in you a three-point line right now and i'll hit more threes than ben simmons easily yep easily and that's i why wish i was 610 <laughs> shit I yep. wish I was 6'10 athletic as Ben Simmons. See, that's what that's what 
that's what we're talking about, man. You got people out here who literally kill to be in the position that you're in, and you don't even work on your game. It's disgraceful, man. Yeah, it is disgraceful. That's why we upset. So when you hear us show this emotion and this type of anger towards a player, it's not that we're assassinating his character. Let me put that out there. We're not assassinating his character. We're assassinating his work ethic. There's a difference. He can be a bad person. I don't care what he does outside of court. I mean, I care if you, you, you want to naturally be a good person. But what we talk about right now is his work ethic on the court and off outside the court. Like, you got to put in the work, whether that's in a gym, whether that's in a weight room. You have to get better, man, because this organization cannot excel having their focal point on the offense shooting 20% from the field. Like, it's just inexcusable, dude. Like, you, you just, that just can't happen. You got to develop a jump shot, man. I'm going to leave it at that, man. We're going to switch subjects right now um, to the Olympics. The Olympics start the 23rd of next month. Um, as you've seen recently, um, you know, we did a story on Carolina Blitz where um, our black athletes, man, are changing the game, man. Uh, Shikari Richardson, um, she is the fastest woman on American soil. Um, we have Simone Biles, who is the GOAT as far as gymnastics is concerned. Um, with just the display she's put on, on her um, all-floor um, gymnastic apparel, um, just – Everything that Simone Biles has done for gymnastics, being a staple for African-American women in diversity um, and self-proclaiming herself the GOAT, which she is, um, you know, she's completely changed the landscape in gymnastics, um, being an example for um, African-American girls that they can indeed do this. Uh, you had Allison Felix, who was banned from Nike. I won't say banned from Nike, but uh, she had her salary reduced um several years ago because she got pregnant and she was a part of the maternity policy, which protects pregnant athletes pay for 18 months. They wanted to basically reduce her salary because she got pregnant. And now she just came out with our old apparel and shoe company this past week. So that speaks volumes. You also have Simone Manuel, who was uh, the 2016 Rio um, Olympic sensational. Um, she, you know, she had medaled and she was the first African-American woman to swim in a swimming event and the first American to win since 1984. I mean, it speaks for itself, man. But what I'm going to get on is just the stereotypes that uh, Shakara Richardson has faced recently. Um, you know, uh, Shakara Richardson runs the 100-meter, um, you know, track and field events. Um, she is just extraordinary, in my opinion, as far as she's the fastest thing we've seen since Flojo. Um, she has a chance to win gold the first time since uh, – I can't remember the girl's name from North Carolina who got um, indicted for uh, doping. Um, ah, I know who you're talking about. Damn it. Because she won the gold, but she got it. Was it uh, Marion Jones? Marion Jones. There you go. Yeah, there you go. You no, know, she has a chance to win a, um, a gold medal the first time since Marion Jones, who they took her medal because of the doping. Uh, she got caught for doping. But I mean, um, Shikari, if you watch TV, listen to the radio, way, you know, radio media, any type of. Um, you know, media publicity in the last couple of days of you've seen all type of comments and allegations from people in regards to Shikari Richardson's um, background, her upbringing. That's the first thing that you always want to hear or you always hear from these media publications is when they try to assassinate somebody's character, they always want to look for stuff in their background, family background. Well, what they don't know is her mom passed away less than two weeks ago. Um, she was running with a heavy heart. Uh, she won the 100 meter. I think she ran like a 10-8 which is like the fastest in the U.S. this year, um, you know, but that's all besides the point. Besides the point is you've had all these publications put out stuff like, oh, she shouldn't be wearing orange hair or she shouldn't be wearing eyelashes or she shouldn't be wearing long nails. Let me tell you something, man. Who the hell are you to tell an African-American woman what the hell she can and cannot wear? First off, that's my grit number one. Number two, who are you to tell a woman who what she can and cannot wear? Number three, I'm going to say it one more time. Who are you to tell a woman what she can and cannot wear? That's where it really, really rubs me the wrong way. I've heard people say that she can't wear eyelashes, she can't wear nails, she can't have her edges laid, she can't wear weave in her hair. Get the hell out of here, man. Like, just get the hell out of here. That's all you have on her. She hasn't been in trouble with the law. She hasn't been robbing nobody. She hasn't been stealing. She hasn't committed a crime. All she done is ran track for Oregon and ran track representing our American country in the Olympics coming this year. It has a great chance to win gold this year in Tokyo. 
but all you can do is bring up her, you know, her mom passing away and they picking on her physique because they're saying that her physique looks like a man. Shut the hell up. I'll say something about that, man. You, this is how you know people never ran track because they, Shakar Richardson has a typical track body. Anybody who's actually ran track knows what a track body, especially a sprinter, because I'm going to get real technical real quick. When you're sprinting, you're going to have a more ripped physique because when you sprint versus long distance running or jogging, you are actually firing off more muscles than you would jogging because the, the amount of energy it takes to run a sprint is so much greater than to jog and you're, you have more core engagement. So that's why you see a sprinter. Sprinters usually have are real cut and ripped up versus somebody that's long distance. They might do skin, but they're not ripped up. Um, and for the people who are saying that she was manly, obviously they don't know shit about the sport of track and they probably don't even work out themselves. But I'm not going to get into that. Um, as far as the smear campaign by some people, I mean, we know what they – when, when I say they, we know who they are. Mm-hmm. You don't even got to say it. We know who they are. Um, it's just typical. Anytime that somebody does something that is a little out of the ordinary, you know, because they want people who – they want people to be clean, cut, safe, happy-go-lucky, whatever. Yep. And then when somebody who doesn't fit the narrative, they start digging and looking for dirt. Yeah, they had nothing on her. They have nothing on her whatsoever, man. Never broken a law. Never even stole a pack of Skittles from the damn grocery store. I mean, like, just the fact that they're reaching so far to pick on her stature, her physical stature, first off, and then they're picking on her hair and her nails and they're talking about her hair bundles and um, just like the way that she acts, like when she runs. When you see these athletes, this is something they've been doing since they've been three and four years old. They're representing the country, first off. They're achieving their lifetime obstacles where they're representing the country. They're trying to win gold for, you know, their, their home country. And it's just like, yo, like, that's all you can say about this woman is, oh, her hair is orange and green. And, you know, why is she wearing weave? And why are her nails so long? And just like the stuff I've, I've heard. If you go type in her name on Twitter right now, and just read some of the nasty comments, man. It's just, it's unbelievable. These things shouldn't even have the choice to be hidden. Like, these people should be put on front front street because, like, you shouldn't never talk about a person like that at all, man. I just, I, I really don't get it, man. I honestly don't understand or even agree with the criticism that she's been receiving because all she's doing is just representing the country. Exactly, man. And you can talk about hair, nails, lashes, whatever, but the fact of the matter is she's achieved something that, very, 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 very few people can achieve. And some people, they, they're saying this stuff because they're envious and jealous that they can't be great on the type of level that she's great on, where literally she's done something that very, very few people get to do. And she has a chance to do something that very, very few people get to do. I know she has some competition out of Jamaica. I can't remember the, the girl's Shelly name. Shelly Ann. Yep, Shelly Ann and Elaine Thompson. Yes, sir. It's going to be a matchup for the century, I think. Man, I think that, you know, Shelly Ann ran like a 10-6 this year. And um, Elaine was the reigning gold medalist from the last Olympics. So it's going – she has her work cut off for her because, like I said, you know, she ran that 10-8. You know, 10 is fast, but a 10-6-3. Yeah, that's, that's, a couple, that's a couple steps right there. Um, yeah, you see how she's smoking a competition during her Olympic trials. These women have been doing this for the last, you know, several years. And like I said, you know, they said Shelly Ann, from what I've been um, reading, uh, they said Shelly Ann is looking forward to the matchup in Tokyo. I mean, you run a 10 6, that's pretty remarkable, man. So we're going to yeah. see, man. We're going <laughs> to yep. A 10 6, I mean, shit, that's faster than 99% of what men can run. Like, yeah. you know, like that's insane. <laughs> For a woman to run a 10-6, I don't think people can really grasp the concept of how insane that is for a woman to run a 10-6. Most men can't even run a 10-6. <laughs> Most men can't even win, run under 11 seconds. So <laughs> let's just <laughs> – they can't even run under 11 seconds, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> like, that, that that's crazy fast. But, you know, the Olympics, like, there's a couple of events in the Olympics I always look forward to. And the 100-meter dash is always primetime, must-see TV on the men's and the women's side, um, but especially the women this year, you know, I'm rooting for Shakar Richardson, but she does have some stiff competition. I hope she um, can pull off an upset, but we'll find out in about four weeks now, yeah, about four yep. weeks from now. Yeah. 
Speaking of, uh, let's jump right into it, man. Um, you know, we've had several new coach hirings in the NBA. Uh, Jason Kidd, um, Hall of Famer, um, future Hall of Famer, I believe. Uh, he is going to be taking over the Mavericks uh, coaching job after Rick Carlisle was, uh, you know, the part they parted ways with the organization um, last week. Uh, Jason Kidd picked up that coaching job. And then we also have Chauncey Billups, who I believe yesterday um, they said that the Portland Trailblazers um, Billups is their main candidate. Um, he was interviewed on several occasions. Um, he was also interviewed from the Cleveland Cavaliers, I heard, uh, you know, a little while ago in regards to a upper management position. Um, but what I want to touch on was the news that broke out, I believe, yesterday from um, Adrian, um, a.k.a. Wojbaum, who uh, came out and said that, you know, Billups back in 1997 did have a sexual assault claim. Um, this was news to me because I didn't even know anything about it at all until yesterday. But um, the news was that Chauncey Billups settled outside of court uh, for a sexual assault claim. Um, the organization, Portland, that is, did his homework. Um, they interviewed Chauncey on numerous occasions. They got him to recount his whole admission about what happened. Um, and ultimately, you know, he settled out of court. And a lot of times from the public's standpoint, the public view, uh, when you settle out of court, it makes it seem like you're guilty uh, from the public perception just because you didn't allow that to go to court. Um, any type of uh, civil and criminal penalties. A lot of times these are civil suits where um, the victims are wanting to get monetary damages. I'm not saying that this is what that was about because we always want to be sensitive to the victims. Um, and we also want to be sensitive to uh, the accusers also because a lot of times these claims are false claims. Not saying that this was an instance, but they did say that he settled outside of court um, and a lot of people within the NBA community were kind of disappointed that um, he was hired or he's being considered to be uh, a finalized candidate for the Portland Trailblazers head coaching job. Uh, Terrence, let me get you to touch on that just briefly. Um, what are your thoughts on the sexual assault settlement? And do you think that Billups um, can change that narrative, uh, clean his name uh, from a public perception? How do you think he'll be in Portland uh, being a head coach? Uh, okay, so just from a pure basketball standpoint, I mean, I think Chauncey Billups can be a good coach. Um, you know, he was uh, on TV. Uh, he clearly knows the game, um, does um, commentary for, I think, the Clippers, I believe. Um, and also he did some work on ESPN for a while. But, you know, with this news and this uh, settlement happening, like, late 90s, right? You said 1997. Yep, 97. I'm just curious – how was he able to get on TV with this being out there? And I'm pretty sure that Portland did their homework. I would hope so. And some of these TV networks did their homework. But I had no idea about this, honestly, until this morning. Yep. <laughs> I saw some people mentioning Chauncey Billups, and I saw some people upset that Becky Hammond wasn't hired. And then somebody said something about they hired somebody that was a sexual abuser. Mm -hmm. And I was like... I just kind of got thrown back a little bit. I, and then I started, you know, looking into it a little bit more, but it's, we don't know what happened, but it's not a good look. And we know public perception. Um, anytime you mention sexual assault and settlement and stuff, people assume that anytime you settle, you're guilty. Um, a lot of times we just don't know. I'm not going to speculate on that, but it's just not a good look for the trailblazer, especially when Becky Hammond was considered as a candidate the optics Carol of it just look bad, man. Yeah, Carol Lawson also for Duke. Yeah, the optics of it look bad, man. Um, as we see this offseason, um, we've seen a lot of changes, you know, with coaching and a lot of turnover, and we've seen teams are hiring more um, African-American coaches, uh, Emmy Udoka in Boston, mm -hmm. uh, Jason Kidd in Dallas. Um, and uh, we've seen that teams want players that are relatable. Um but this situation, I can't really say too much. I just hope that Portland really did their yeah, research and vetted the situation and um, because the optics have look bad. And I'll say one more thing real quick. I know it's a coaching opening in New Orleans. I'm interested to see because I think Teresa Witherspoon is someone that's been mentioned as a possible candidate for that job. But I think eventually, I don't know when, maybe – possibly this year or next year, I think we will have a woman as the first, we will have the first woman coach in the NBA, uh, whether it's Becky Hammond, 
um, Teresa Witherspoon, Carol Lawson. There's plenty of women out here who, who know the game. Um, they can coach. Um, but the optics of it just look bad, man. That's all I'm going to say. It's, it's not a good look. I hope Portland really did their homework. I just really found out about this situation this morning, so I can't really say too much about it. But it's just the optics of it look bad. And like I said, we don't know what really happened because a lot of times when – you know, set, settle, people settle for a number of reasons, I guess. Uh, you, a lot of people assume guilt, but we just don't know um, the situation is. And this is something that's been kept under wraps for a while because it's 2021. This happened 20, almost 25 years ago. So yeah, and we, just we just don't out. know, man. Like, but I just hope the opposite of it look bad. And I hope Portland did their homework. That's all I can say about it, man. Gotcha. Like, and like we alluded to, um, speaking on behalf of Two Shades of Blue podcast, which is a part of Carolina Blitz, Bash I Hurt, we always want to be sensitive to the victims, um, the accusers. We want to be sensitive to all parties because we don't know what happened, what transpired. Uh, so um, speaking on Two Shades of Blue podcast, we do I want to mention again um, that we are being sensitive to the whole ordeal. We don't know what happened, uh, but we want to be sensitive to all parties uh, going forward. Um, we're going to go ahead and close it out. Uh, last topic uh, tonight. We have game three, Atlanta. Um, they open at home against the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, you know, as we mentioned before in the podcast, the Bucks were up about 40 points at one time during game two. Um, you had Trey Young, who was one for eight from downtown, nine turnovers. Um, you know, it's a big game in Atlanta tonight. I think this is a must win for Atlanta um, because I think that if they go down one, two at home, they could potentially end up losing or like they call a gentleman sweep losing 4-1, but I think this is a big-time game at home. I don't see Trey Young going one for eight from downtown tonight. I don't also see him having nine turnovers, but I do see Greek still being a problem for them to stop because I think Greek's going to get his whenever he wants to. he probably have 30 points easy, um, probably like 20 in the first half. Um, I think the difference tonight is going to be um, the supporting cast for the Bucks. Uh, can they get P.J. Tucker involved, who only had one point during their <laughs> – 30-point win the other night. Uh, Chris Middleton, who can he still shoot 50% from the field? He was 6-13 from the last game. And can we get production from Drew Holiday, who um, Drew Holiday doesn't have to give you 30. Um, but what Drew was brought to Milwaukee to do was be a defensive enforcer. Um, we know Trey Young's going to get his. Like, that's the type of player he is. But I think Drew, his mentality is, hey, Trey's going to get his – but I'm still going to play defense on him because I was brought here to play defense. Make it harder for Trey to get his. Like, still be a distributor, still be a defensive enforcer, still talk on defense, communicate with the players, ball side defense, whatever the case may be, you know, on switches, pick up the switch, um, especially in the pick and roll with Brooke Lopez. Brooks, Brooke needs help, we know that. But can you help catalyst that defense against um, the shooters of Trey Young and um, Bragmanovich and um, – you know, they have other shooters on the Hawks as well. Werter, um, Gallinari. Yeah, Gallinari, who was – he had 12 the other night, one for four from three, four for seven from the field. Um, can you help catalyze that defense against them? Um, I think this is a must win for Atlanta. Um, I think this may go down to the wire in Atlanta tonight. Uh, give me your opinion, T, on this game tonight to finish this up, man. Uh, I'll be brief. Like you said, I think the Hawks have to win tonight if they want to extend this series past five games because if they lose – all the pressure will be on Atlanta to win game four. Um, and we know we've seen a lot in this playoffs that pressure has gotten to people. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to pick the Bucs to yeah. win tonight. And I, I'm going to pick the Bucs. I said Bucks and six earlier, but I really think the Bucs can win in five. I just don't know which Bucs team is going to show up. But I think it is going to be a close game. I just think the Bucs are going to pull it out the end. But – if they don't, then we will have an interesting game four on Tuesday um, in Atlanta. But I I know I said Bucks and six earlier, but I'm going to change it up. I'm going to say Bucks and five. I think the Bucks are going to win, and they're going to win game four and closing out in game five. And then Giannis or CP3 are going to uh, win their first title. One of those two are going to have a title at the end of the year um, as well. So that's my prediction, man. You heard it first here from Two Shades of Blue podcast. Terrence Hatch, you gave you the Bucks and five, which is called a gentleman sweep. Ladies and gentlemen, we had a lot of topics today from the NBA playoffs, the Olympics, coach hirings, and Ben Simmons. Um, that's going to conclude our show today. 
Thank y'all for tuning in with us, man. We'll catch y'all next Sunday with our next podcast. Uh, once again, my name is Royal Howell. My co-host, Terrence Hatchett. We are a part of the Carolina Blitz family. Bash Hurt. This is the Two Shades of Blue podcast. We love y'all. Y'all be safe out there. <laughs>